Welcome to BBC's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website at ballamvineyard.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. And I like the vibe here, especially the pizza. It just smells like home to me, so that's good. Um, okay, so I was up here about a year ago with my husband, who's this good-looking man up here on sound. And I, afterwards, I told him that I was never going to get up here again, ever. And God said, yes, you are, and you're going to have two services this time. So here we are, praise God. Um, so right now, we are in the middle of a series on characters in the Bible. And a couple of weeks ago, Steve gave an amazing talk on Barnabas and encouragement. And then last week, Elias spoke on Haggai and the presence of God in rebuilding your lives. And so if you weren't here for those, do take advantage of our podcast, have a listen and catch up. But this week, I'm going to be talking on King Hezekiah. Don't know who he is? That's totally cool, because we're going to talk about him today. Um, and Stephen Viv asked us to pick a character of the Bible when they asked us to teach, whether it was our favorite character, a character that doesn't get talked about a lot, or a character that we felt led to talk about. And so I did what we always do when we just really need to hear from the Lord. And I closed my eyes, and I opened my Bible and flicked the pages till I felt like it was just about right and opened it, and there was Hezekiah. So I thought, well, at least I've got a month to try and figure out who he is. But... In reality, the Lord has really been teaching me a lot through the life of Hezekiah and, and what he did and how he lived. And so today, I'm just going to give a bit of background on the Israelites and Hezekiah and try to relate his reign and rule to our lives today. And hopefully, we can learn a little bit of something out of it. So the history of Israel, God's chosen people, is long and complicated and consists of periods of obedience and disobedience to the one true Lord, Yahweh. And they also face threats from different world powers like the Assyrians and the Philistines. And at one point, this, these people asked for a king, and the Lord gave them one, and they became a kingdom. And in about 930 BC, this kingdom split into two, into the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Each kingdom had its own king, and throughout biblical history, the kings were deemed to either be good kings or bad kings, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or doing what was wrong. And there were reportedly no good kings in the northern kingdom Israel, and just a handful of good kings in the southern kingdom Judah. And King Hezekiah, the king we're focusing on today, was a good king. And he was king in Judah, and he was actually reportedly the king that most resembled King David, who we're going to be learning about in a week or so. And Hezekiah became king at the age of 25 in about 715 BC, and he ruled over Judah for about 29 years, and his story takes place in the Bible in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah. But before we jump into Hezekiah, I think it's important to take a look at his father, King Ahaz. Now, King Ahaz was a bad king, and in 2 Chronicles 28, 1 through 4, it says, He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Remember, there were no good kings in Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, which would have been false deities, 
And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his sons as an offering, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Now these high places that were just mentioned would have just been simply elevated, elevated publicly accessible structures like what you see there. And they were altars and places where people could go and make sacrifices and worship various gods. And there also would have been pillars, which were just large, upright structures, standing stones, cult objects that would have been dedicated to different deities. Basically just a bunch of rocks. And this is where these people would go and worship these false gods. And so Hezekiah's father established and worshipped at these altars in these high places throughout the kingdom, and he sought protection from invasion, provision, and wealth from these other gods, sometimes even the gods of his enemies. And in order to protect himself and for his own welfare, King Ahaz even made his own sons pass through fire as a burnt offering to the Canaanite son Molech, a practice that was absolutely forbidden by the Lord. And now, not only did he worship false gods, but King Ahaz also shut the doors to the temple, to the house of the one true Lord, Yahweh, and he destroyed the sacred ceremonial items of the house of God. And instead, he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem and all over Judah. And King Ahaz's leadership encouraged his people to also pursue and sacrifice to these other gods. So, after years of, of Judah disobeying the Lord, enter Hezekiah, this new king in a kingdom that is littered with false altars and high places and long-standing practices in disobedience to the one true Lord, even to the point of shutting the doors on him. And here, Hezekiah has a choice. He steps into authority as king, and he can continue these practices, follow the example of his father, or he can choose obedience to the Lord. And in 2 Chronicles 29.3, it says that in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. So immediately, King Hezekiah does a complete 180, and he chooses to open the doors back up to his God. So I want us to catch that Hezekiah's actions were not bound by those of his father, that regardless of where he came from or the patterns of his upbringing, nothing counted him out from opening the doors to relationship with and reliance on the Lord. And so the truth that we can hold on to from this is that the actions of your family or your parents, good or bad, do not define your relationship with the Lord. They don't restrict your relationship with the Lord. And the Lord does not look at you and see the actions of your parents or your family. And we all have a choice to establish our own relationships with God and the authority to declare that the familial history just does not define our lives with God or the futures that he has for us. So despite, so despite the actions of his father, <laughs> just keep eating your pizza, George. <laughs> so despite the actions of his father, King Hezekiah does not waste any time, and he gets to work setting straight the kingdom and bringing himself and his people back into relationship with God. And in 2 Kings 18, 4 through 7, it says, He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. 
He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. So we see here that some of the first actions that King Hezekiah took as king were to tear down the high places, and then he went to cleanse the temple. He called, the, he called for the Levites, the priests of the temple of the Lord, to consecrate themselves and to carry out the filth from the temple. So once the idolatrous places had been torn down and the temple had been cleansed of its filth, worship in the temple and obedience to the Lord could be restored. Hezekiah encouraged sacrifices and singing and praises to the Lord. He reinstated the observance of the Passover and obedience to the laws, and he restored regular temple services and tithes and offerings, and he attempted to unite the northern and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, through worship instead of war. So King Hezekiah tore down the idolatrous places, he carried out the filth from the holy place, and he restored worship and obedience to the one true Lord. So hopefully you're still with me. You may have noticed that I just like to chuck a bunch of scripture and a bunch of content at you and see what sticks. So there's a bunch more coming, so hopefully you can stay with me for the next 15 or so minutes. Um, but I think sometimes, and often we may not even realize it's happening, but we find that we have established these high places and there is filth in our own lives. And we establish these false gods and these idols and sometimes get to the point of worshiping them, of devoting our time and our energy and our money to them. These things that distract us from God to the point where we forget that we actually need him and we neglect his commandments to love him and to love others. And sometimes this looks like a state of constant comparison to your peers and chasing after material things. Or sometimes maybe you're just devoting all of your time to your job and the next opportunity for promotion or recognition. Or sometimes it's simply just remaining in friendships and relationships that just aren't healthy for us in our relationship with God. And sometimes greed and jealousy and sexual sin and other habits take control of our lives. But when these other things begin to take precedence in our lives and take over our relationship with God, I know, at least for me, sometimes it's a lot easier just to cover them up, pretend like they're not happening, and be the good Christian that I know I'm supposed to be. And, but sometimes, like King Hezekiah, we need to do a complete 180 and turn around. C.S. Lewis, a renowned author and one of the three people, dead or alive, that I would like to have dinner with, <laughs> says, we all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back the soonest is the most progressive man. So we turn away from anything in our lives that separates us from God and hinders our relationship with him. James 1.21 supports this by saying, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And Elias mentioned last week that in 1 Corinthians it says, Our bodies are temples for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we just need to clean house, to cleanse the filth, to tear down the high places, by seeking counsel, by repenting, and actively turning away from those things that are separating us from God. 
and we restore our positions and our identities as sons and daughters of the Most High God, and we worship with pure hearts and in true obedience to the Lord. Now, what I'm not saying is that the Lord is just absently waiting for his people to get their acts together, that he will only take us after we've cleaned ourselves up and just gotten all that stuff together. The amazing difference between us now and Hezekiah then is Jesus. And Jesus came, and he is the ultimate sacrifice. He's covered all of our filth, all of our sins. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, then he has already washed us clean and made a way for us to access the Lord. But Jesus calls us to a life that looks like his, and a life of obedience and following his word, and that just takes work on our part. And we see this when we look at 1 John 2 through 3, 2, 2 through 3. And in the Amplified Version, it says it this way. And he, that same Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice that holds back the wrath of God that would otherwise be directed at us because of our sinful nature, our worldliness, our lifestyle, and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of all believers throughout the whole world. And this is how we know daily by experience, that we have come to know him, to understand him, and be more deeply acquainted with him. If we habitually keep focused on his precepts and obey his commandments and teachings. And there are amazing stories of people who are in addiction and they meet the Lord and just no longer have the desire for substances. And there are people who encounter God and just actually no longer have the ability to lie or to curse. But that's never happened to me. And a lot of times, it just takes work for us to choose the life that God has for us. It took the Levites two whole weeks to cleanse the temple and prepare it for worship and for Passover. And even if we are headed in the right direction, down the right path, we need to daily renew our minds with a focus on him and set to work cleaning out any junk that makes its way into our lives so we can walk in our new identities in Christ. And the message paraphrase says it this way in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. So hopefully you're still with me. My husband said that right about now would be a good time for a joke. But we are in the Old Testament today. So back to King Hezekiah. Um, so we've learned that King Hezekiah restored the temple and worshipped the Lord in Judah. And the Bible says that after these acts of faithfulness, that's when the king of Assyria came to invade Judah. This king has a name. I can't pronounce it. You probably can't either. So we'll call him the king of Assyria. And when Hezekiah saw that the Assyrian king was going to invade, at first he panicked and he had a brief lapse against the way of the Lord where he attempted to wager with the Assyrians to try and get his way out of it and to protect his people. But then he turned around to trust in the Lord. He began practically and logistically preparing his kingdom for battle and he gathered his people in the square and he tried to encourage them saying, do not fear God is on our side. Be strong and courageous, and he will be with us and fight our battles. But the Assyrians are still threatening. Here's this world power that has successfully conquered and invaded so many other nations and has even caused the northern kingdom Israel to fall. 
and the Assyrians have picked Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, to be next. The Assyrian king even sends his messengers and written letters to King Hezekiah and the people of Judah to continue to incite fear in them and to weaken their mentalities and their willingness to defend against the Assyrians. So the king of Assyria says in, Chronicle, in 2 Chronicles 32, 13 through 15, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers, and how much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? So if you didn't catch that, the Assyrian king and the Assyrian army are encamped just around this fortified city of Jerusalem, and they're just chucking threat after threat at them, saying, do you really think that your God is big enough? Why would you believe in your God when no other God has been able to stop us? We have defeated everyone else, every other God, and your God is no different. And after enduring these threats and these lies... Contrary to the decisions of his father, King Ahaz, who, when he was faced with attack, turned further away from the Lord and toward his enemies' gods, King Hezekiah's response to the threats and the mockery of his God and the imminence of war is to turn to trust to the Lord. He seeks advice from the prophet Isaiah and prays directly to the Lord himself. Hezekiah lays all of the threats and all of the lies at the Lord's feet, and he prays in Hezekiah 37, Verses 15 through 20. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of the king of Assyria, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord. And that night, the Lord sent an angel into the camp of the Assyrians and struck down 185,000 men, and the Assyrian king fled to his hometown where he was murdered by his own sons while he was worshiping his own false god. And as dark as it is, and that is pretty dark, I do think that this demonstration of power is one of the cool things about reading the Old Testament. And it's so difficult for us to relate to, and it's so difficult for us to understand. But that God who fought the enemy to protect his people in response to one man's prayer is our God. And for us, sometimes it's after acts of faithfulness that when we're walking closest with the Lord that the enemy decides to strike. When, like King Hezekiah, we are obeying him, we're worshiping him, we're encouraging others in the faith, we are often facing the most threatening battles. 
And sometimes in those battles, we face threats and we get bombarded with lies from the enemy, like the Assyrian king threw at King Hezekiah. And for us, these lies might look like, if your God is good, why is this happening to you? Or you're not good enough. You are not worthy of the Lord's presence. The Lord can't use you. You can't hear from the Lord. And it's tempting to distract ourselves and to turn to other gods. I was talking to Georgia earlier about this day I had this past week. I was at work, and it was one of those days where everything was going wrong. I found out that I didn't do something that I definitely should have done like four months ago. And I found out, like, there's drama going on around me. There are people arguing in offices around me, and it's just this really crap day, and, and sometimes I don't know if you have these days where you just feel the tears, they're coming, and there's going to be a moment when the floodgates are going to open and it's just going to happen. And this happened when I was sitting at my desk. There are tears streaming down my face, and I'm thinking, I can't do this. I just can't do this. I can't be here anymore. And the poor intern next to me, who we're like trying to hire, trying to recruit, sees me like bawling at my computer. And I'm like, this is just not a good day. And all I wanted to do in that moment was go home and watch Gossip Girl. All I wanted to do was just escape from this place and watch Netflix and get away from it. But, but that's not what we do. It's tempting. We want to distract ourselves and we want to get away from the crap. And, but what we should do, we should turn like King Hezekiah to the Lord because our God is a God that is not made of human hands and he will not falter. And like Hezekiah, we should remember who our God is what he has done for us, what he has done for others, and turn to him boldly in prayer and ready to defend the lies of the enemy. God cares for us. He hears our prayers and our cries for help, and he powerfully rescues his chosen people. And our faith is in the one who the Bible says has overcome the world. And this is the God that is on your side, and he cannot and he will not be defeated. And the amazing thing is, is it's not just that he's a powerful God, but our God is a loving God who wants relationship with us. And he sent his son to take on our filth and our sins and to die in our place that we might be heirs of the one true king and have everlasting life with him. And Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him and in the cross. So we find our battles with the God who has already triumphed over our enemy through Jesus. And this does not mean it's easy. But it means in those times of trouble, like King Hezekiah, we can trust in him. And we can cry out to the Lord to save us, like Hezekiah did, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that he alone is the Lord. So we pray to him to save us, that all the rest of the world that seeks their salvation and so many other things may know that our God is a good God and the God who is victorious, and that through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, we and anyone else who believes in him are victorious. 1 John 5, 4 through 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we've gone over a lot today and learned just a little bit about King Hezekiah's life, but in an attempt just to wrap things up a little bit and just have a couple of takeaways. Um, first, nothing counts you out from relationship with God and from choosing obedience and a life of worship with him. Just like King Hezekiah did not let the relationship with his father or the actions of his father or his family define where he was going to go with God or where he was going to lead his kingdom with God, it didn't count him out. And it didn't mean that he was disqualified from relationship with God, and neither are we. And the difference between our time and King Hezekiah's time is Jesus. And Jesus has already cleansed us, but often it takes work on our part to remember to renew our minds, to cleanse the filth, and to cleanse the junk out of our lives so that we can walk in obedience and in relationship with him. And lastly, we need to remember that our God is a victorious God, and he's a loving God. And that through Jesus, he's already won, and he's already defeated our enemy. And we fight our battles, and we defend our lives from a position of victory. And we can trust in him and cry out to him that all the rest of the world may know that he is God. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. And now we're going to have a time of worship and a time of ministry. And, and maybe you just need to do some business with God and just spend some time with him and just worship and praise. Or maybe you need prayer. Maybe you feel like you're going down the wrong path and you need help turning around. Or maybe you're like me and you have a really tough office environment and you just want someone to stand with you in that this week. Or you feel like you've got a really busy week coming up and you want us to pray over that. Here at the Vineyard, we pray for anybody for anything and we'd love to pray for you. Um, so just take this time to respond to the Lord. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our BBC speakers.